You are listening to a Natural Products Insider Podcast. With Judy Bazzazzaro, Editor, Food Insider Journal. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th in Secaucus, New Jersey. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. I am Judy Bazzazzaro, the editor of Food Insider Journal and managing editor on Natural Products Insider. With me today on the phone, I have Megan Westgate, who is the executive director of the Non-GMO Project. Megan will be speaking at the GMO Labeling, Regulations, and Marketing Opportunities session on Saturday, March 10th at 1130 in the morning during the Natural Products Expo West show in Anaheim. Megan, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Non-GMO Project and its mission? Yes. So the Non-GMO Project is a nonprofit organization founded in 2007, and our mission is to preserve and build sources of non-GMO products, educate consumers, and provide verified non-GMO choices. And one of the main ways that we do that is by offering North America's only third-party verification program for products made without GMOs. Um, And part of what makes that third party is we set our standard independently, and then we work with outside technical administrators, very much like the certification bodies um, that oversee the organic standard, so a similar kind of system. And they evaluate products to ensure that the way things are made in an ongoing way meets our standard, and um, there's an annual audit as part of that process. So through that program to date, we recently just crossed the threshold of more than 50,000 products that have been verified. So that's a really important way that we are fulfilling our mission. And the project was originally started by natural food retailers who were trying to give their shoppers more information about the non-GMO status of products in their stores. And um, retailers continue to be really important partners with us. And we currently have over 14,000 registered retailers who work with us to help raise consumer awareness about GMOs and the importance of choosing non-GMO products. Well, great. That uh, That's uh, very impressive uh, over that time frame. Megan, you're going to be speaking about GMOs at next month's Natural Products Expo West, so I'd like to touch on a few key issues surrounding GMOs in the food and beverage space. As you mentioned, more consumers are seeking out products that are with natural ingredients and that are minimally processed. Um, clean labels really becoming a the way of the land, so to speak. So today's consumers are reading ingredient decks and they're paying attention to claims made on food and beverage products. They're also demanding more transparency from finished goods manufacturers. Can you describe some of the common consumer misconceptions surrounding GMOs? Sure. So these are getting better, but there has been a very concerted effort on the part of the biotech industry to make consumers believe that GMOs are a really important tool for um, addressing the climate crisis, addressing the crisis with global hunger. Um, And in reality, GMOs are are pretty much about one thing. More than 80% of GMOs grown worldwide are engineered for herbicide tolerance. And so what that means is they've been genetically engineered to not die when they get sprayed with a chemical pesticide like Roundup. Um, This is very advantageous to the chemical companies who create the GMOs because not only do they have patents on the GMOs themselves, they are also selling the chemicals that are designed to be used with them. And this 
technology has absolutely no benefit for the consumer. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about the health and safety of it. And there's increasing data showing that there are um, devastating environmental impacts. Most of the rest of the GMOs that are on the market now are engineered for insecticide production. So there's actually an insecticide that's engineered to express itself in every cell of the plant. And that's pretty much what is on the market right now. So it's incredibly misleading for biotech companies to try to convince the public that there is some public or environmental benefit about GMOs when in fact it's quite the opposite. And again, consumers are increasingly becoming very savvy to this, um, but it's something that has taken a lot of effort on the part of um, many nonprofit organizations and public interest groups to counterbalance that very well-funded biotech PR effort. Okay, great. Um, the National Bioengineered Food Disclosure Law is scheduled to take effect this summer. Can you provide an overview and an update on the law, including what to expect and if there are going to be any challenges companies will face? Also, how will this law affect consumers and how can companies get involved? Yeah, so this is a very timely issue. Like you said, this is scheduled to take effect this summer, and we are expecting that the proposed regulations will be coming out any day. It's extremely likely that they will be published um, sometime between now and Expo, and certainly if they are, it is our intention in this session to really go into the details of what we see in the proposed regs and help um, make suggestions about um, the issues that people might want to comment on and the ways to do that. But Based on what we know about the law so far, we expect there's a few key areas um, to pay attention to. One is disclosure methods, which um, likely folks have heard about. So the legislation as passed would allow for the use of QR codes, and um, there are a lot of concerns about that, um, one being that many people don't have access to smartphones, um, and it's just, and even people who do have smartphones don't really use them. I can say as a mom of two kids under four, you know, there's no way that I can be taking my phone out and scanning products while I shop. Um, so that's really a concern with this. Like, it's really important to just have clear on-pack labeling in plain English. Um, and so disclosure methods is something to pay attention to um, in the proposed regulations. Also, there's some key questions about definitions. Um, there's an increasing effort by biotech company, companies to present GMO, some of the newer aspects of genetic engineering as not actually genetic engineering, which is very misleading. So it's really important that the definitions in this regulation are going to need to be comprehensive. Um, and then there's a question of uh, what, where thresholds get set and just like how testing is required and, and um, just to give a little insight into that, um, just because of current testing limitations, if you take something like a bottle of canola oil that's um, refined and you test it, even if that canola that went into the oil was completely genetically engineered, the oil itself will give you an undetect result. And so it's really important that to the extent that testing is required, that um, appropriate thresholds are set for any allowable contamination and also that 
um, the test needs to be done on something that has valid DNA intact. So those are some of the things we'll be looking at. And again, we're hopeful that in the session in Anaheim, we'll actually have the proposed regs in front of us and, and we'll be able to walk people through more specifically. Okay, thanks, Megan. There's also been a lot of talk about GMO 2.0 and synthetic biology and gene editing. Can you shed some light on why these issues are getting such buzz and how do they differ, if any, from the current state of GMOs and the food supply? So this is such an important question, and biotech companies have realized that they have lost the battle on consumer acceptance of GMOs, and market studies show that more than half of North Americans currently are actively avoiding GMOs when they shop, and those numbers just keep going up. And I think largely in response to that, some of the newer techniques that are um, part of genetic engineering are being touted as non-GMO, which is really misleading. Um, and so it's important at the non-GMO project, our definition of biotechnology is aligned with the codex definition. And this is the most authoritative international definition. It's what the WTO looks to in resolving trade disputes. Um, so that's why we've aligned our definition with it. And a key phrase in that is in vitro nucleic acid techniques. So basically when we're talking about genetic engineering, we're talking about a process where in a lab, either in a, you know, a test tube or whatnot, there, the DNA and or RNA has been tinkered with. So the nucleic acids that are the building blocks of life have actually um, been tinkered with in a very reductionist way and in a way that cannot happen in nature and does not happen through traditional breeding. And even though there are a variety of ways to do that, they are all genetic engineering. Um, but there's been this effort to say, well, this is a, um, like with synthetic biology, it's often being presented as just a natural fermentation process when actually the process relies on genetically engineered microbes to produce products. Um, it's definitely genetic engineering. Same thing with gene editing. It's absolutely genetic engineering, but gene editing sounds a lot better. Mm -hmm. And um, part of what bio companies are trying to do, again, is distance themselves from the traditional transgenic GMOs. But the techniques are, are very similar, and it's really important that we maintain awareness. One of the things that we've been watching at the Non-GMO Project is that with some of the newer techniques like gene editing, the products of, of these types of genetic engineering are not yet commercially testable. And so that is creating complexity and nuance. That is something that in this panel we'll be going into more detail to educate industry about in terms of how to make sure that these GMOs are not sneaking into your products. Okay, great. Um, and, and when you're talking about the educating the audience, it leads me right into uh, the next question, which is, if I'm a brand, what should I keep top of mind when I'm sourcing non-GMO ingredients? It's important to be really clear about what your specifications for non-GMO are. And of course, for all of the products and inputs that we verify through the non-GMO project product verification program, that's a huge reason why we created this program is to mm -hmm. provide consistency to the industry so that, you know, there's obviously a lot of sharing of sources of ingredients, a lot of sharing of processing facilities and having everyone operating to 
uniform standards really provides a lot of efficiency. Um, but but it's very important to be very specific. These days, if you even if you say non-GMO in a specification, that might not be enough because, again, there are companies who are selling genetically engineered products as non-GMO, and it's very misleading. And so if you don't specifically say, is this an in vitro nucleic acid technique? Does this meet the codex definition of biotechnology? Does this comply with the non-GMO project? Um, you might get sold something that actually is GMO. So, you know, obviously working through a third-party verification program like the non-GMO project provides a lot of assurance, um, but that's something that we can explain more about in the panel too, just in terms of contracts and affidavits, what's the really key language to include. Okay, perfect. So, you know, really get your standard operating procedures in place and and uh, exactly. go with that. Okay, perfect. And then, um, you know, you mentioned, we were, we were just talking about on the ingredient side now, as consumers, you know, what are companies doing to educate consumers about GMOs? I mean, you walk down the, the grocery aisle today and you see the non-GMO project verified seal everywhere. You see the USDA USDA organic seal everywhere. So I think that that's awesome. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to, I guess, give the consumer peace of mind when they're, when they're shopping. But, um, you know, what are, what are all size brands doing to uh, educate consumers about uh, GMOs? Well, like you said, um, having information on pack is one of the big ways. It has raised so much consumer awareness just to see non-GMO labeling. Um, it's really brought it front of mind to a lot of shoppers. Um, so that's great. And then we see a lot of creative work being done on social media, um, podcast blogs, um, just ways to engage shoppers in understanding more deeply about the issues. I think another really key way is we, in 2010, started an annual non-GMO month celebration that we do every October, and we partner with brands um, to, to really support our education and outreach effort with a lot of focus specifically. Um, October is very focused on what's happening in stores, so we have a whole campaign of shelf talkers and shelf tags and end cap toppers and just things to bring even more visibility. Um, but I think a lot of really important conversations are happening on social media as well. And as, as the um, social media technology and platforms evolve, we're seeing increasing opportunities to really have meaningful dialogue with the consumers. And so that's something that um, is a big focus for us, and, and we're really excited about some of the partnerships we're seeing. Great, great. Um, you know, I think that that's going to be an area where consumers are going to you know, really want more information, and uh, you can just definitely see that that trend right now. Um, in well, we feel that especially to, sorry, we're <laughs> noticing that also with these new techniques that it's increasingly important to educate consumers, you know, in the face of this misleading trend, make sure that they really understand what's going on and, you know, what the risks are to their food and what the reasons for going non-GMO are. And, um food companies and food retailers continue to be really some of the best partners for, you know, getting direct to the consumer, making sure that they have the information they need to make an informed choice. Sure. Um, you know, you've mentioned mis the word misleading a lot uh, during our conversation, and that kind of leads me into, are there any updates about GMO-related litigation surrounding pesticides or genetically engineered foods that you can kind of fill us in on? 
Sure. So Andy Kimbrell, who's the executive director of the Center for Food Safety, is also on this panel, and he'll have um, more detail to share about um, the various suits that they have going on. But CFS has recent litigation um, on GE Salmon, 24D, Dicamba. So they're watching all of this. They also, importantly, um, in August, sued the USDA because the USDA had failed to comply with the statutory deadline um, related to the um, Bioengineered Food Disclosure Act, where they were supposed to publish a study on disclosure method methods and, um, you know, related to the QR code, et cetera. And after the Center for Food Safety filed suit, the USDA did publish the study 12 days later. And so partly because of that, um, we are thinking that it's very likely that the USDA will meet the deadline of um, publishing final regs this summer. So um, CFS has been doing really important work in that area to, to keep the government accountable. Okay, great. Um, and then one last one last question. Um, can you talk about the Whole Foods Market GMO transparency labeling requirements that are set to take effect this fall? Sure. So um, as of September 1st, Whole Foods is requiring suppliers of food products to label products that contain GMO risk ingredients if they're not third-party verified as non-GMO or organic. Um, so at this show at Expo West, Whole Foods is hosting two 90-minute supplier workshops on the transparency initiative. Um, but for those who don't have the opportunity to attend, it is they are invite-only workshops. The non-GMO project and our technical administrators will be participating in the workshops. And so in this panel at the show, we'll take the opportunity to provide high-level updates about just key things that um, suppliers and other retailers may be wondering about related to these deadlines. But the key thing is Whole Foods announced this transparency initiative at Expo West in 2013, and um, they are sticking to their commitment. And so we are seeing, we've seen a lot of activity in the subsequent years of retailers really paying attention and, you know, making sure that they meet the requirements. And in many cases, they're, you know, choosing to get non-GMO project verified in order to do that. And um, we expect to see a lot of activity, you know, between the Bioengineered Food Disclosure Act going into effect this summer and then the whole food deadline on September 1st. Um, there's a lot for food companies to be paying attention to now, and that's what really inspired this panel is to, to take that time to make sure that people have all the information they need to be ready for these big deadlines. Well, great. I think it's going to be a great panel. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today on this Healthy Insider podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, I look forward to listening to your presentation at next month's Expo West. And on Insider's part, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at NAPT. Prod Insider. Use the hashtag Insider Podcast. You can find us online on our website at naturalproductsinsider.com and be sure to sub and be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Again, thank you, Megan, and I will see you next month. Thanks, Judy. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts.